So Money Episode 569, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. What a week we've had. It's Millennials and Money Week. I mean, not that I really planned it this way, but Monday we had Erin Lowry, episode 567. She's a personal finance blogger of thebrokemillennial.com. Her book is called Broke Millennial, and it's out this week. And it's all about how to not be a broke millennial, funny enough. Now we are turning the tables and answering your money questions. Thank you to everybody who's been writing in. We are trying to steadily keep up and catch up to all the questions. And Sophia is here as always. Welcome to the show, Sophia. Welcome and happy Cinco de Mayo. Oh my God. (laughs) That's right. I forgot my margarita. (laughs) Well, I'll have to grab one after. (laughs) All right. And I can drink now, which is, the thing is after you have a baby, you can be more relaxed about your adult beverages. But my problem is, is one, I don't have time to unwind with a cocktail. And two, even if I did, my tolerance is so shot right now (laughs) that I take a, I basically just smell wine and I'm down for the count. I'm I'm drunk. You're a cheap Um, date. (laughs) I'm a really cheap date. Oh my gosh. So anyway, this is Friday, May 5th, Cinco de Mayo. Sunday, I will be at Penn State. If any of you State College listeners, University Park listeners. I'm going to be on campus, my alma mater, on Sunday, bright and early at the Bryce Jordan Center, addressing the Smeal Business Students, Smeal College of Business, class of 2017. I'm so excited and also a little nervous, a lot nervous, Sophia, because you are nice. You laugh at all my jokes because I pay you. (laughs) But these people... These millennials, I mean, I'm really scared. Like I have some jokes. I have some – I feel like my my speech is like pretty light but also from the heart and also a little self-deprecating. I try to have a, a, a little humor in there but I'm just worried. I got nine minutes and it's like eight minutes too long. You know what I mean? Because really a minute is all I can really expect from these people to pay attention. No, no, they'll be very lucky to have you. I've seen you give talks with other groups and I'm not the only one laughing there. I promise. (laughs) Oh man. Thanks for saying that again. I know I pay you, but I'm hoping that that (laughs) is actually how you feel. I, I don't know. You know, I have my husband who is a who's you know a tough critic and he's been giving me some feedback and my brother too Todd you know he's 26 so he's definitely the target and so he's been editing it a little bit but i just got to go with it and cross my fingers and hope that in 10 years when they look back on their graduation they might might remember my name oh they'll I actually, remember it <laughs> i have a joke do you want to hear it here's the joke and i'm going to give us a be, preview yeah so i start by obviously congratulating everybody when i get up at the podium and I say that I'm so honored and humbled to be there. And it's really, I'm, I'm getting, I'm going to be having goosebumps. I know when I get up there. And so I tell them that I hope that in the next nine minutes, I will inspire them enough so that in a decade, they'll reflect back on this day. And remember that a woman named Farnoosh spoke at their graduation and that she was kind of cool. I'll take it. And then I said, or at the very least, 
you will remember that my name sounded like a Middle Eastern appetizer. <laughs> That's cute. I like that. Is it, a, is it cute? <laughs> I'm waiting for a pun. Okay. So that's that's my corny joke in the beginning. And if I, if I get silence after that, I might just, just I might just have to run out crying. But I just really don't want to let down the dean and I don't want to let down my professors because, you know, I uh I owe a lot to them and I'm I'm really humbled for getting this opportunity. It's it's huge. I mean, who thought that like I will be back at Penn State for this reason. I will be filming it, so stay tuned. I'm going to put it on my website and y'all can see me either bomb or do okay. You'll do great. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. I, I appreciate the uh, the encouragement. Okay. Let's get to these questions. I, I I see the first one has something to do with real estate, which you know is music Your to my favorite topic. My favorite <laughs> topic. So tell us what George is curious about. Yeah. So he and his wife are in their mid-20s and they're currently renting in Queens and they want to buy a first home. But the bad news is their credit scores are both so-so. The good news is their parents have offered to help with the down payment, but even so, he's worried about qualifying for a mortgage and all of the maintenance costs, plus he's nervous about getting rejected by co-op boards. All right. So he's got some challenges, and so he's at a crossroads. So he's like, what is really the, the bottom line for George? So he wants to be a homeowner, but obviously he's facing these challenges. So really, he wants to know, should they attempt to buy or should they use his parents' down payment contribution towards investing in a rental property and then mm -hmm. use that rental income to afford a better rental for themselves? Well, as we've talked about on the show, buying a home, the math is not the only thing that needs to add up. You need to really be in the right mindset to become a homeowner. This is a can be a very daunting experience for some. And even for the most experienced home buyers, you know, they probably will also say that buying a home is no small feat and it comes with a lot of responsibilities and it's not for the faint of heart. And if he's nervous about co-op boards and he's nervous about all of the ancillary costs like the maintenance and the don't forget taxes, I think that maybe he needs to relax a little bit about this idea of buying today. I'm not saying he'll never be able to buy and I think he's probably on a, on a good track to become a homeowner someday and he's got the support of his parents, that's huge. Not many people can bank on that. But I think that he may just need to wait, he and his wife, so that they can build up their own savings so that they can have some real skin in the game. So they'll get their parents hopefully to contribute. And then in a few years after saving diligently, they can build up their own savings to contribute to either the down payment or all of these costs, the mortgage, the taxes, the maintenance, he should go into this with pure peace of mind. I mean, not everything's going to be peachy keen and, and there's going to be some stuff that will pop up surprisingly. And, you know, when you go through a closing, there's a lot of stuff that could drive you nuts, just all the paperwork and all the demands from the underwriters. But it's really important that you you feel at least that you've done your best to be financially ready and being and through that process I think George and his wife will then get mentally ready. You know, they're looking at these price tags and I know they're in Queens and Queens is more affordable than Manhattan, but it's New York City nonetheless and prices here are much higher than they are in the rest of the country. And so he's probably experiencing some sticker shock. So just maybe take a step back, George, from all this. It sounds like you're very overwhelmed and 
you know, you're not alone here. I think that most prospective home buyers initially get overwhelmed. So think about how you and your wife can over the next year or two, pare down your expenses, build up your savings, improve your credit scores too, because that's the other thing. No matter whether you go the investment property route or the the residential property route, your credit scores will matter. And if they're low, whether your parents give you that down payment or not, you may or may not qualify. And if you do qualify and your scores are low, you might get a high interest rate and that's going to also increase your monthly payment. So I think it's best if they just slow things down a little bit and focus on getting their financial ducks in a row. And I think that will inherently make them more confident about becoming homeowners. Wow. That's nice to have parents giving you down payment money. That's kind of the only way to do it these days in New York. Seriously, (laughs) like people in their twenties buying in New York city, when you hear that, you think, okay, how did your parents help you out? Or was there an inheritance? And if anyone read You're So Money, my book, my my first book, Live Rich Even When You're Not, you know that I was able to buy in my mid-20s in New York City, but it was thanks to my parents who were able to take equity out of their home, give me cash to buy this studio. And then I went and got basically a home equity line of credit off of the value of that studio, paid back my parents with that money and started to pay off this HELOC, which I then refinanced into a fixed mortgage. Did you get all that? But basically my parents and I, we strategized to be able to buy a home in New York for me. At the time, and still I think you, your competition is stiff. You know, you've got people coming in with all cash offers. They don't need to use a bank. And so there's that too. Not to make you more scared, George, <laughs> but <laughs> there is also that to, to expect. And down payments in New York City, usually you want to have at least 20% at the ready. Definitely. Um, I was going to say the co-op that my parents have their apartment and they require 40%. So there's even some places in New York that require more than 20%. Yeah. Yeah. Because co-op boards, you're right, Sophia. I was thinking more condo where the minimum is a 10%, but then of course people to be competitive, they put 20, 30 cash, all cash, but co-ops set the standard and the rules for that building. It don't matter whether what you want to do, it's all about what they want to happen. And so I remember seeing a home that I loved in Manhattan when I was trying to look for my first place and the price was really, really below market, I thought. And I was all ready to kind of take it to the next step. And I talked to the seller and I said, so, you know, what kind of financing are you prepared to accept? I could probably do 10 or 20%. And she goes, financing? This building only accepts all cash offers. And I was like, oh, well, that okay, bye. <laughs> so you, you know, I think that was a rarity because like all cash, requiring all cash is sort of nuts, but co-op boards can make any rules they want and they can reject anyone they want and not have to tell them why. I know. It's crazy. Which, I've been told too by people who, some of the people in our building, they say once an apartment goes on the market, it's tough to sell because even if they're priced competitively, as, as you were mentioning before, the down payment alone scares off a lot yeah. of buyers. So you, you really have to do your research and be careful and also be prepared. Yep. It's it's very, very tough out there. But George, I think that if you just take the time, you really map it out a little bit more, you do 
you do what you can to save, to boost your credit score, you'll just be in a better place and you'll have more options uh, at the end of the day. All right, Danielle, let's move on. She's got some credit card debt that she wants to get rid of and she wants to strategize. Let's help her out. So Danielle has $5,000 on one credit card that she'll be paying off this year. And she recently got a tempting offer to transfer the debt to a 0% APR credit card. And there's a $0 transfer fee and the 0% lasts for 15 months. So she's wondering if she should make the move. And if yes, should she then close her other card during the process of all of this? Well, I assume the interest on the current credit card is more than zero. (laughs) Listen, as some of you may know, I am a financial ambassador for Chase Slate. We've worked on a lot of great credit health initiatives. And Chase Slate, similar to the card that she's describing here, offers a 0% APR for the first 15 months. And I think it can be helpful if she can take advantage of those 15 months and erase the debt within that time frame. Because as we know, after 15 months, that 0% turns into a pumpkin. And then you're looking at closer to maybe 18 to 20%, depending on your credit score. So that's my advice, Danielle. If you can pay off this debt in 15 months within that 0% APR time frame, it could be a smart move. And no, don't close the other card in the process. Be very sure of that. When you transfer the balance, make sure that your old bank or your old credit card issuer keeps that card open because your credit score might take a hit, a little bit of a hit if that account gets shut off. That account, I assume, has a nice credit limit, maybe some good credit history. So that all does factor in positively in your credit score. So keep it open. Don't use it. Just keep it open and uh, take advantage of this 0% APR credit card and get that $5,000 off the books once and for all. All right. Rosalie uh, has a question about Elevest, one of our ad partners. Yeah. So she signed up for Elevest, the automated investment platform for the listeners that don't know about Elevest. And she immediately canceled the account because her boyfriend told her that traditional IRAs, which I guess Elevest offers, are horrible. He said it would be smarter to fully fund her Roth IRA because she'll pay less in taxes when she withdraws. She says she doesn't like investing in a Roth IRA because she doesn't know what to invest in and can't afford a financial advisor. So she wants to know, is Elevest really as bad as her boyfriend is making it seem? Yikes. Mm. I I think your boyfriend might be overreacting, Rosalie. And I'm not just saying this because I'm a fan of Sally Krawcheck and she is the founder of Elevest and Elevest is a sponsor. So full disclosure, you know, we're big fans of Elevest around here. And it's not just because they help to sponsor the podcast. I really believe in the mission. I really believe in Sally Krawcheck. And traditional IRAs are different from Roth IRAs, absolutely. And it is not a wrong opinion to say that Roth IRAs can be more advantageous. It is true. Your boyfriend is correct in saying that when you contribute to Roth IRA, the contributions are withdrawn tax-free in retirement. But the benefit of a traditional IRA is that your contributions will reduce your taxable income today. And Elevest is an automated platform. They have you answer a series of questions, a lot of good, important questions in order to figure out the architecture of your portfolio in terms of you know how much risk to, to take on and, and so on and so forth. And so it is a lot more affordable than hiring a financial advisor. But listen, 
what, whatever route you decide to take, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't open up a Roth IRA, don't feel that you can't pursue a particular path because you can't afford a financial advisor. A Roth IRA is a very simple investment vehicle. Just like a traditional IRA, the investment offerings within these plans can feel vast and you may feel like you need someone to hold your hand through it. But we talk about it on the show all the time. And it's not just me. It's people like financial advisors and other financial experts and investors. We love of index funds. Just pick a really good broad market index fund. They typically have very low uh, expense ratios, low fees or no fees, and pick that. And that could be your one investment in the Roth IRA, and that covers a lot of territory. And if you've got a lot of time until retirement, which it sounds like you may, you're probably better off doing that than hiring someone to pick stocks for you. There was actually an article the other day that said that indexing outperforms active management in funds. So it's don't feel like you can't do the Roth IRA because you don't have this professional help. It's really easy. Just go to a bank, open up a Roth IRA and pick a broad market index fund. That's it, you know, and let it ride for 30 years. And I think you'll be happy in the end. I don't think LFS is as bad as your boyfriend makes it out to, to be. I think LFS has a lot of advantages. One helps you save up for various goals. Women are very goal oriented. You know, it's not just like I want to save money for one day in retirement. That's one goal, but I also might want to buy a house. I also might want to have a fund at the ready for when I have my family, have my kids and don't want to work for a year. Because we got a lot of things on our plates. You know, we have a lot of things on our minds. We want to afford a lot of different things that men don't necessarily think about. And Elevest really kind of captures that. And respects that. So I would give LFS another shot, Rosalie. Maybe you decide against traditional IRAs, but I I think that whatever you do, do something, do something. A Roth IRA is also great, but I also would say take another look at Elevest and uh, maybe introduce it to your boyfriend, like actually walk him through it with you because maybe he's not really seeing the totality of what they offer. Okay. Shannon wants to know about credit cards. She's a freelancer. So how can we help her? So Shannon wants to know what the best credit card for a freelancer might be. She wants to be able to track her expenses with one card, but also get the maximum benefits from her purchases. She's especially interested in travel miles because she flies a lot. So she's wondering how you suggest that she go about finding the best card for her. Mm -hmm. It may sound here like she wants two cards. I don't normally say that, but you've got two things going on. You've got your business and then you've got all this travel that you do, that which may be, of course, tied to the business. But it's not often when you're going to find a card that offers you all these different benefits for all your different purposes. So one card that's exclusively for your business expenses, including you know, maybe your rent for your office, your supplies, your subscriptions, whatever materials, merchandise you buy, gas, that is for the business. And I would maybe put the travel on a different card, on a card that is exclusive to travel rewards. And if there's a particular airline that you take more often than others, or maybe you take all different sorts of airlines, there's a card for you. And nerdwallet.com, bankrate.com, these are some good sites to check out, which can compare these different cards for you. You type in what you're looking for, your preferences, and it usually gives some really good options. So that's what I would say. Have a business credit card for 
most of your business expenses and then whatever airline expenses you have or travel expenses that you have put on a separate card that where you might be able to get more of a return for those purchases because it's exclusive to travel rewards. And then there are all sorts of different kinds of business credit cards too. And 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 on those sites, you can compare as well. NerdWalletBankRate.com. Another, right. another spot to look so. to for Shannon, just for the travel credit card might be actually with travel bloggers, I think. If I remember correctly, Nomadic Matt, who we've had on the show, I believe he yeah. also has a post as well on some of those cards that might offer some benefits, whether it's miles, as you mentioned, or hotel perks, things like that. Yeah. Also, there's the points guy. Yeah. And he talks about how to maximize your travel using different kinds of travel cards and travel rewards points and things like that. So check out those resources. Good addition there. All right. Last but not least, Armand. Love the name Armand. Armand is a character in The Birdcage great movie. What's on his mind? All right. Armand is writing in because he wants to find other ways he can make money long term. He wants to know what can he be doing to increase his income. A little bit more about him. He currently has a nine to five job and he's earning around 65000 a year. He's a homeowner in the Bay Area and he's also contributing pretty aggressively to his retirement plan. All right. Do we know what Armand's skill set is or what he likes to do, because that's really what it comes down to when you're looking for side income. Of course. Um, of course, nothing on that. Nothing about that and nothing about what he's currently doing where he might be able to leverage mm-hmm. some of those skills as well. All right. Well, I'm going to throw back some questions at you, Armand. I mean, that's really where you got to start if you want to narrow down some side gig options. One is, what am I good at? what can I do? What are my technical skills? What are my soft skills? You know, what are my resources too? Because if you're not really insistent on doing something that leverages your skill set per se, maybe you can leverage your vehicle, your house, you can rent your car out, you can use the car to, you know, help people move through sites like TaskRabbit and moonlighting.com. Is that, is that what it's called? Moonlighting.com. We've had the CEO on. Yes. If you have a home and you have an extra room or you're going to be away sometimes and you want to rent out your house entirely, Airbnb.com could be an option to make some extra money. So it's really kind of making two lists, right? What are my skills and what are my resources and how can I leverage one or some of these skills and resources to make extra money? And most importantly, you want to be comfortable with this side gig. So you might have the house and the extra room but you don't like renting it out to strangers. That's fine. That's important to know about yourself. You don't want to get involved in a side gig that's going to make you uncomfortable. Make two lists, one with your skills and one with your resources. And between those two lists, maybe you'll be able to find a way to leverage that and make a little bit of extra money. You can always also ask for a raise. Never hesitate to ask for more money from your employer if you really believe you're adding exceptional value. And we've talked a lot about how to do that. So go back through the archives, Armand, and you know, pick probably one, at least one or two podcasts a month. We talk exclusively about income and earnings and raises and negotiating. So hopefully the podcast can continue to be a resource for you. And that's a wrap. Thanks, Sophia. Of course. Happy Cinco de Mayo. Go enjoy a Happy nice margarita. Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> yes, margarita is is imminent. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Armand, Shannon, Rosalie, Danielle, and George. George, hope you get that house 
one day and you will be happy, but I, I'm really confident that the more money you have in the bank and the higher your credit scores, you will be just all that much more ready, prepared, and able to take on this big purchase. Thanks, everyone. You know how to reach me. Go to somoneypodcast.com, click on Ask Farnoosh, send us your question. You can leave an audio question or write in. Happy Cinco de Mayo, and I hope your weekend is so money. Money.